This is Moments with Foo with James Foo Torres, better known as Foo, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Moments with Foo is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Foo. Hello and welcome to Moments with Fu. I'm your host, James Fu Torres, or you can call me Fu, hence the name of the podcast. And today I have Andrew Beatty. He is the founder of BeatDap, and I'm going to let him tell you more about that. And hopefully I didn't mess up that name too much. But first, Andrew, <laughs> how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to join and, and uh, talk with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. I mean, we had a great conversation and I was like, man, I need to have you in my podcast because you have so <laughs> many interesting stories, uh, it, you know, mixed with blockchain, with horse racing, with going to the moon. Like, I mean, man, you're full of stories and I love it. So that's why I have you here. So first, let's okay. um, let's dive in into a quick introduction uh, about yourself yeah. and your company. Yeah, so I'm Andrew. I'm the co-founder of BeatDap. Uh, what we do is we help find uh, streaming fraud on most of the um, streaming platforms. So if you think about it this way, um, everyone listens to Spotify, Apple, Deezer, you know, Pandora, whatever. There's hundreds of streaming services globally. Um, what people don't know is that roughly one in every 10 streams is fraud. It's fake. It's not real. And so what happens is people load music on quietly. Uh, and they run bots to stream their music across multiple different platforms. And then they make money from the royalties paid out on streaming. So what's really crazy is because of the industry's pro rata. So, um, you know, if you're a big artist and you do 100 million plays and the platform did a billion plays total, you get 10% of all the revenue they make. So you get 10% of the advertising revenue, 10% of the uh, subscription revenue. It's kind of pulled together. Um and so if somebody's in there making fake streams, they're quietly taking your money uh, and that's happening a lot. So, um, you know, 10% of the industry is, 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 we estimate fraudulent and that's billions of dollars a year going into, uh, you know, third party fraudsters pockets. Uh, so what our company does is we track the number of times songs are played and we look for all the weird anomalies and all the fraud, the same way that banks look for like money laundering or ad tech platforms look for fake clicks. Uh, we're doing the same thing for the music industry and we're the industry standard uh, for that. So and, that's the company I have now. And and this is, uh, you're working then directly with like Spotify, uh, Pandora and all those things, all those platforms? Yeah, so we work with, with uh, uh, we don't work directly. I can't say who we work directly with and who we don't work directly with, but we work with uh, large streaming platforms and we process billions of streams, billions and billions of streams per month. and. Um, uh, it's one of those weird industries where I think people aren't necessarily eager to wear the scarlet letter. Like there's a lot of fraud and I think everyone's trying to solve it. Uh, and so we help a lot of people you'd be surprised by, but, um, but I think that, uh, in general, our goal is we're a third party trusted source that ha doesn't really have a thumb on the scale. Like we don't, we don't have our roots directly from labels or from DSPs We're we're just a technology piece that helps them identify fraud and, and everyone, it helps everybody it helps the, the labels because artists get paid more fairly. It helps the streaming services because they're not paying out the wrong people. Also, it costs a lot of money to serve music. So 
Um, if you find a bunch of fraudsters, for example, it reduces your cloud costs by like 20%. So your OPEX can be uh, significantly reduced by getting fraudsters out of your system. So everyone's kind of on the same side of the table. They all want it fixed, but um, it's a massive problem that's just been growing like crazy the last couple of years. Yeah. And when you say DSPs, like digital uh, streaming platform. Mm, sorry. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. DSPs is music streaming. I'll try to uh, make it more casual. So music streaming uh, platforms. Yes. And there's yeah. huge endemic ones, right? There's like Angami in the Middle East. You have Boomplay in Africa. You have Madondo. You have uh, Savin. Like there, every major region has their own sort of regional player. And then you have all of these globalized brands too. So there's probably like 100 to 200 relevant streaming services around the world. You People know, here um, just think Spotify, but like there's so many big companies. I I I think Spotify, uh, Apple music and then maybe amazon music but then after that i'm like do i know <laughs> that there is other services yes i do um yeah. but i never hear about them i never see somebody sharing about it or whatever right so it's it's kind of hard but um but i can understand that right uh it's like everything there's always sure. um things that gain popularity local. And if you're not there, then you're not there, right? Uh, and there's yeah. different incentives. And that's why I, I believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's so important, especially for these regional ones, because they probably pay even better to, to get people in. And if you have fraudulent people, then obviously it's just that you're paying the wrong people and then you're not you're not building the right community that you're built that you want to build. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's that's all entirely correct. And and then also there's um I think everybody realizes how hard music is to make. Like it's it's a it's difficult. So, you know, if you think about just how hard it is to make a song, how hard it is to promote a song, and then how hard it is to collect your money. And you know, those are all challenging things. There's a there's you know a huge amount of companies in that supply chain all the way through to help help you actually collect on and monetize on what you've created, just like any art form. And so the idea that somebody else could be injecting art in there or stealing your art or stealing money that you deserve is like, you know, I think everyone feels the pain no matter where you are. Like everyone realizes it's it's difficult to be an artist and and um, you deserve every penny you make because it's it's a tough, it's a tough business no matter what. Why make it harder on everybody, you know? Yeah. And and one my, where my mind went uh, uh, is the, the fact that before uh, it seemed like recent like history right like from like the industrial revolution until like the other day basically it, it like w the world wasn't created for many artists to succeed there's a very few that could do tours and that's it but now you know with with social media stream platforms now you can just start your music and and have you know, over a hundred countries listen to it, uh, right? Like I, I'm saying, like one of my friends, she started producing music this year. Uh, she's always being artistic, but then she started releasing music and and then got over a hundred thousand streams with uh, uh, 134 different countries, and and that was you know it's something that it, it wasn't even possible you know, in the nineties, let's say, right. Or even early two thousands. Right. And, and now like being able to, to have those things, it, it's cool how the, the, the workforce, right. That the market is, is changing. And this is the yeah. few things, right. There's a lot of room for improvement still. So obviously there's, there's a lot to kind of like fix in this industry. So like what you're doing, clearly there's, there's a big need and, and I'm glad that, you know, that, that somebody is doing uh, what you do. No, thanks. I appreciate that. No, there's, it's, you know, 
to give a number to it, a billion, 1.5 to $2 billion a year is being stolen from artists. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of money that we're trying to, to solve and people are inventive the way they steal. So, uh, you know, you close one door and they open another one. So it's a bit like whack-a-mole and you're constantly building really sophisticated machine, machine learning models and AI prediction tools. And we use a lot of blockchain for tracking stuff. We have like, you know, 30 something patents in seven countries around our technology. And, um, so it's, it's, a it's a constant learning evolution. You're just constantly trying to get better and, and, you know, iterate towards something that's an improvement. And, um, but I appreciate the kind words. That's awesome. Um, you know, um, and, and one thing that, that I want to, uh, I want to say now is that, that to add to this, yes, this is it's it's a cool thing that, you know, artists can make money this way. But one thing that I see a lot of artists that they fail to recognize is when you're an artist, you're also a business owner. You know, yep. you have a brand, you have to act like it. So the stream, it's it's something that, yeah, it's cool that you have that option, but that's just a part of your business, right? Like growing your brand, being able to sell merch, being able to build a community that you can get exclusive snippets of your next music and all these things. And I know that you, you know a lot about business and you have a lot of knowledge in this industry. So I would like to ask you for some advice for that this might even applic uh, be applicable for any business, uh, but more specifically, given that you are in this industry, how the artists should act, treat their business or their music as a business. Yeah, I think it's a, I'll start with the artist side and we can talk about other businesses. I know you and I talked before, this is my fifth company. So, and not all of them in music. I did worked in healthcare. I did a peer to peer sharing economy with users from a hundred countries. I've built an agency up. So I've kind of been all over the place, uh, helped on a lot of turnarounds and whatnot. But I would say on the music specific artist side, um, you're right. Like streaming is one part of their revenue, but honestly, like you make a ton of money off of touring, merch, um, like specifically ticket sales and touring. Like, I think you make most of your money off that and, and, and sort of the merchandising and the licensing and sync opportunities more than like, you still make a lot 56. When you're a major artist, you probably make 50, 60% on streaming. It kind of changes based on whoever, but a lot, a lot of the other things you do are very important. And I think that, um, where people maybe mess up when they're first starting because that's sort of the question like if you're if you're trying to become a big artist you aren't relying on streaming like you have a hundred thousand streams for people that don't know a million streams roughly pays out three thousand dollars so your friend made about three hundred dollars uh off the hundred thousand streams like you'll never live off that so you have to do all these other things when you're first starting and you can't rely just on streams and I think what's interesting about the way that music has changed is back when I used to promote artists, how I got into the music industry is I was really well known for growth hacking. So I used to like really leverage platforms like Facebook. I was really early on Twitter. It's one of the first 50 beta advertisers on Twitter, um, you know, pretty early with YouTube and hacking the algorithms on their front page to get videos on the front page of YouTube constantly. And what was interesting is back then, even if you hacked the platform and I say hacked by not like literally coding and hacking, but finding creative ways to gain momentum inside those platforms so that you were, uh, you know, accelerated or their algorithms would pick you up. And back then, what was interesting is that let's say you got on the front page of YouTube. Um, people still had to like you. There was a lot of times we got on the front page of YouTube and people would be like, oh, that's crap. And like, you could see it in the numbers. Like you'd get on the front page of YouTube and it have no organic growth because everyone thought it was garbage. It was straight trash. And like, nobody believed in it. 
And then there was times where you'd get on and it would just move, it would just take off. Like it would be so organic. You just need that. You just need the spark to, for a fire to take, to take. And so what's interesting is back then people still had the conscious decision. I came to YouTube to see something. I see this cool content and I either like it or I don't like it, but they're making that decision right on the spot. They love it or they don't love it. And you, your product was your music or your video or whatever it was. And you lived and died by, uh, you know, whether there was a product market fit and it took, um, and it didn't take lots of time. So the hack really only helps you get the chance, but ultimately your product had to, to do the work. Um, what's interesting in today's music environment is that so much of the streams come from passive listening now on playlists. So if you get playlisted, no one's really like, if I asked you to go like, go to your last playlist and tell me what the last 10 songs were, you probably wouldn't know most of those artists, but you just listen to them. Are you a fan? Probably not. Like if you got an email being like from Spotify, you know, this artist is so happy that you're listening to them, please come to their concert. You probably won't buy the ticket. So what's interesting is that there's so much passive listening and passive fandom now that people aren't making that active decision to like you. You just happen to be there as they're listening to other stuff. And so what I think is really interesting about that is that um, the more you focus on gaining streams, typically revolves around getting playlisted because that's how people listen or getting access to popular playlists across different services, not just Spotify or, or Apple or whatever. Um, but those people might not even care about you. Like, can you sell a hundred tickets to your show in Denver? Like probably not. And so what's interesting, I think, is that the tried and true way of building real fans by going and doing all the crappy shows and getting in a van and going like one town at a time and building with 10 people who happen to be there who go like, wow, I really love that artist. And then you spend the time after the show meeting them and being their friend and following them on Instagram and engaging with them and like, being human, um, those are your core fans that just takes years to build. And there's really no escaping that. And I think for a hot second, there was escaping it. Like in the 2000, say four, 2012 to 13 range, you could cheat it because like you just needed access. But I think now people are so passive, you can't cheat it. And what I think I see more common than not is people just getting their hands dirty. Like you just have to be willing to ride in a U-Haul van and sleep in the back and, you know, do the the crappy part of building a business that it, like you said, as an artist is building a business. So I would, you know, my advice to artists is that don't overlook the simple things uh, that seem simple. Like it doesn't, you don't have to overcomplicate it. It still comes down to meet a true fan, be human, build an authentic relationship with them. They will want to support you because they like you and because they like your music. And you just have to repeat that a hundred thousand times over. <laughs> until you get a core base of people. And I think that's the that's how you build longevity. Like I know so many amazing bands who never made it commercially. Like they may have never had a top 20 hit, but they have a core massive following. Like uh, the band that comes to mind right off the bat is this uh this group called the Expendables. Um and they were pretty big, I would say in like the late 2000s, uh early 2000s. But they weren't like as far as I know, they weren't like built like selling stadiums. You know, they were not. I, I don't heard know of them. So being on the radio, but they will sell out thousands of tickets every city they go to. They have such a core fan because they've been on the road for so many years. People love them. They relate to them. They like them. And so you, twenty years later, they're still selling out 
3,000, 4,000, 5,000 ticket shows and making a living off of their music, um, you know, without ever having maybe like a Grammy, but they have a core audience who loves them and shows up. That's way better than most of the people we see today that just get one playlisted song, some quick streams, and then that's that's it. Like you you don't remember them anymore. So I would say my advice is do the hard work. Like don't don't try to find the shortcut. You know, just do the heavy, the hard, the hard stuff. And that's that's the part that sucks to do. But I think that's what that's when you stand out, you know? That's how you build true value. Yeah. Um to to dissect this in how I received received it is. Main thing, uh, obviously, you gotta you gotta have good music, right? Like you gotta got something that is good content, good music, something like that. That's the main thing. But a lot of people can do that, right? So then after you got that check mark that a lot of people can do, um, yep. now it goes to building, uh, basically build a movement out of it, like build a strong brand that then you are uh, connecting with fans multiple ways, right? Could be on online or off or both, right? Like uh, ideally yep. both um, and, and create loyal fans that from there, when you create loyal fans, you have advocates of your brand now, because uh, nothing like somebody that discovered the next big artist, right? Like that is the best thing. Like I, every time I remember um, this, this female in Puerto Rico, her name is right now. And, and I saw her, she had like maybe 3,000 followers on Instagram, like, and I listened to her music and I was like, this shit is good. Like, and she is, she, she has the style, she, she has the body, she has the, 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 the way that she connects. And, and, and I was like, I tell my friend, I'm like, look, this girl, she is going to be big. Like that. And then I started like posting a few things about her and stuff. Now she's probably like over 40,000, like a year later or so. Like uh, now she is like, like verified, like selling out uh, different places in, in Puerto Rico. And, and like, now she's just, everybody's talking about her. She's going to podcast, go all those things. Right. And, and, yeah. and that's what, that's what you want to, right? Like, like, look, you, you find, create those like loyal fans that are going to be talking about you, sell a small place, stay after, connect with them, build that trust. Yeah. They start following you. They start DMing you all the stuff. And then they start sharing your content. You connect more and more with them. They give a name to your audience, all that stuff, right? You start creating all these things and then like, like, spreads like wildfire now right and and, and that with another you know, combination with the good marketing like what you say like there's growth hacking that can be involved right if you surround yourself with the right people like let's you know, say like you have an andrew in your network or you connect mm -hmm. with somebody that connects you with somebody like him mm -hmm. and then from there um you know you you build some you start a movement now and now when you have a movement you don't have to get like grammys you don't have to do anything you're touring you have your fans you make a living you're happy right um and that's um that relates a lot to business too, right? Because in business, especially now more than ever, I would say, uh, content it's is the equivalent of of your art now. That that is yeah. what it is, right? And that's why, um, in my company and me personally, I'm prioritizing YouTube right now because in YouTube now with YouTube Shorts and now that they are creating usernames too, so now it, like they clearly kind of becoming a social media now, uh, and it's the place that people go to how to do this. Right. Like they want to solve problems. They were going to be entertained. They want to, you know, edutain now, too. That's a big one right now. Right. Like edutainment, like being able sure. to entertain people with education. So that's why I 
wanted you to to give these things because I knew that it relates a lot to to business because you know you build a strong brand, you build those like loyal fans. It's just you know your first couple of clients, the first couple of people that are consuming your content. You engage with them, you build a community, and then you 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 grow from there, right? Like that's exactly you know what I'm doing personally and mainly you know with my clients first, right? And then uh, with me that I'm, I'm I'm launching my channel to doing this thing. So you know, thanks for all that insight. I mean, I know that I I got I learned a lot. Uh, from that and, and and I you know there's gonna be a, everybody that listens to this there, there's a lot of value in here so you know hopefully did I do good did I do good at dissecting that I think it was great no I appreciate that yeah no I think that was awesome perfect thank yeah. you so that like I really you know I, that's why I call this like moments with food right because I it's not just hey I'm gonna ask questions 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 and that's it right like I want to be able to dissect because I feel that I I can I mean, I'm the audience in a way, right? Too, right? Because I'm I'm here listening. For sure. So, uh, thanks for that. So, is there um, any challenges that you see that that they're common that you have overcome, or maybe your clients that you think is worth sharing with the audience? Yeah, I think the thing that um, the, this is my fifth company, so I would say the early challenges I had were around company culture. I really didn't believe in company culture, like in the beginning. I kind of thought it was garbage. Uh, you know, you, co company culture in the terms of like everybody, especially in the valley or in uh, you know tech hubs, you know they do catered lunches, and it was all about let's go to you know baseball games together, or hockey games, or it was all about like activities you were doing with your coworkers. That was more. Um, do you have a bus that drives people around? Like that's not real connectedness of like your employees or your people or your team. Mandatory so, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's not really fun. No one really cares about it. It's not. It's not really authentic. I guess is the word. And um, so I really just didn't believe in culture because if you think about how much it takes to manufacture an inauthentic culture with events and team things and mandatory fun and you know, like stupid contests and, uh, you know, SaaS platforms to add in where people give each other fake kudos so they can be seen giving, you know, their coworkers fake dabs on stuff. Like, it's just like, um, it's an annoyance that I think takes too much time as you're trying to do the one thing that a startup does, which is survive. Like, can you survive? Can you make a product people want? Can you make something people will buy? Um, and then from there, you have the luxury of having culture, like then your culture, you can worry about later. That's how I always thought. And I think what I learned along the way is, is I did that. And then I built a company that was hundreds and hundreds of employees without focusing on culture. We scaled quickly. And then what I realized at scale was that if you didn't plant the seeds early enough to have a positive culture, it can very easily backfire and you have a very negative culture. And what I had at that time was a culture that was very, very difficult to manage. Everyone had their own little fiefdoms where they controlled their own departments. No one really wanted to participate with each other. Everyone had a different vision of what the company should be. No one was swimming in the right direction. And changing that was near impossible because you don't just go back and start changing hearts and minds for hundreds of people at a time. You almost, uh, and then any new person you bring in that you're excited about just gets the cancer of what's already there. And so it's very hard to change that company like later. And so I would say what I learned along the way is that culture is not BS. It is actually very critical and it's a survival necessity if your company's going to make it long-term. But I think focusing too much on culture early distracts you from surviving. 
So the, the sort of challenges I've overcome have been, how do you create enough authentic culture that people uh, like love working with each other and you have a really great environment, but you aren't necessarily spending all your time on it. And so what I, what I kind of, the challenge or the thing I created that I now take with me everywhere is this thing called culture in a box. That, that's what I call it. And it's just like a couple things I always do. I always do this thing at the end of the week called cheers, where we give a, it's like anonymous, like you don't know who's writing these, but it's just, you know, uh, thanks, Andrew, for helping me do this one thing, or thanks, homeless guy for shitting on our front doorstep. You know, I've been meaning to use our back door this whole week anyway. Like, it's like funny, but also like positive. And what happens is it creates these really authentic moments and there's no politicalness to it because you don't know who wrote them. You read them all, you evenly distribute them and you read them all at the end and everyone writes three to five of them. So we literally give them out. Now it's digital. So it's a Slack notification, but it takes four minutes to write them. We do it at the very end of the week. It takes 20 minutes to read them. And there's this crazy, it sounds kind of cultish, but there's this crazy positive like affirmation thing that occurs where everybody feels really good about the week they just had. Someone recognized their work. Somebody said something really, you have no idea who it is, but you just feel so appreciated by your team. And I think it's always weird when we first hire people because they probably come in and they're like, what is this weird crap? But then like a month later, it's everyone's favorite day of the week. And it takes zero time. It takes 20 minutes. It takes almost no effort for me at all. And so that was like the one biggest impactful thing that I ever did with any company to like build a authentic relationship between people where they felt really connected with one another, but it wasn't forced or manufactured. And I have no idea who writes these things. Everyone just does it. And it's, if you start it early, it just grows. And as your company scales, every department can do it. And so it's something that's easily scalable, but like has such a positive impact on your, on your business. Um, and the other thing I do I, that I, I kind of added, I, I kind of stole from fraternities, I would say. I, I wasn't in a frat, but they they do this at like with secret societies and stuff like that. If you ever like look into Yale or whatever, and they have to do this entire day where they present everything about themselves, like a full biography. And the point is not that you tell everyone about yourself. The point is actually that you were so vulnerable that you opened yourself up, that people accepted that vulnerability and then recipro- reciprocated that vulnerability with their own. And you have this trust that's built from being vulnerable with your coworker. So what I did was. I started this biography thing where we do like a 30 to, you know, I say I, but it was myself and my co-founders, Morgan and Poria, all of us together. We decided to like, let's do these biographies and we'll do 45 minutes to an hour where we share all the like really critical parts of our life, like where you struggled, things that like were really important to you and meaningful uh, about your family, what your dreams are, what you hope to do after this, because I'm not naive to think that everyone's going to work with us forever. So how do we help you aspirationally? Like really be vulnerable. And for myself, that meant like struggles with my weight, uh, struggles with some of the stuff I've had in the past. And what's crazy is by being the first one to open up like that, everybody else on our team then did the same thing. And it builds this really authentic trust and vulnerability amongst the team that really makes everybody feel like a cohesive unit. And it takes, again, you know, we did it one time for everybody that joined the team or was on the team. So it's it's one of those things you just do. And, and I think those are the two most impactful things that have ever happened that I do at every one of my companies now moving forward, because it creates such a unique atmosphere of trust and friendship um, that is authentic and it's not manufactured. And I think that that, is, that didn't require money. It required minimum time. 
But at scale, when you hit 200 employees, when you're successful, that is the piece that will carry through to all the employees as it, as it grows. It's not the lunches and it's not the like free bus tours or whatever else you do. So I'd say that's, that's the challenge I overcame was changing my mind around culture and how important it was because I saw it firsthand fail. And then thinking through how do you plant those seeds so that it doesn't happen again? Yeah. So um, for for the anonymous thing, like how do you make it? Do you have like a software or something to be able to We make literally it? use Google survey, like Google, like where you just the oh, Google okay. Forms. Perfect. And you make it so that there's no email or anything associated with it. Like it does not track. It's just a timestamp and what people want to give as a cheers. Uh, and that gets fed into a form. And then I just distribute those. So Friday hits, we all jump on a Zoom now because it's a distributed team now that it used to be pieces of paper in a box. We would spend like an entire afternoon making the ugliest box you can imagine because uh, it was kind of funny. But now it's digital. But anyway, yeah, you just you just get them and you read them out and we go one by one reading them out. And most people are drinking beer or, you know, whatever, water, doesn't matter. But you're just well, yeah, cheering each other. It's a relaxed uh, time. And then for like the... The biography, you just uh, take, uh, is this something more, it seems like it's more, not every week, right? Or is it every week? It, um, is no, it like we once? do it. Yeah, we, we only, do, only, you only do it once as a, as an employee. So it's like when you first join the team, you're asked to do it roughly in like three to four weeks. Um, we recorded, we being the founders and a couple of our senior leadership team recorded ours. So you have a, a understanding of what they look like. So also that everyone comes in knows, um, can share in that vulnerable aspect with us. And then after you present, there's normally, so you might present for like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then everyone on the team asks questions. And those questions can last like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, hour, like it's really just people engage with you and ask you know someone on our team was like an eco warrior which was like kind of i would have never guessed that was like in that person's background um and it was just so interesting they like lived in the trees for two years um trying to keep you know forest from being uh you know deforested like from from logging and i'm like i would have never put that with that person but it was so interesting or one of the quietest guys on our team is like really hardcore into mountain longboarding and he'll do like 60 miles an hour down massive hills and he's like a quiet program and you like would never put the two together and you just learn such really interesting things about the people on your team and it's fascinating and then you ask questions and you're engaged and it's just like a really cool way to build connectiveness in in your in your company but again you do it one time as the employee So unless you have like thousands of employees, you're probably not doing it every week. We staggered ours out like every other week would bring another one. And then when we run out of them, we do a game night instead. So we do like some sort of digital game, like code names or, um, you know, uh, like capture the flag online or whatever. And we just do something together as a team that's not work related. But it's again, it's, it's that or the sort of bio. The other thing we'll do sometimes is we'll mix in random pitches, which is also really fun. So we, we pull random pitch decks and you don't know what your it has 13 slides and you have three minutes and you don't know what you're pitching yet and then everyone decides on slack on the moment so like one of my favorites was ice skating is really a water sport uh and so it's like 
you just like have random things and you have to, you don't even know what the deck looks like. So the screen is changing and you're presenting a topic you don't know. And it's just like the improvising the there, right? Yeah. Oh, damn, that sounds fun. I never heard about that. You know, I made a couple of notes and everything because I, I know that culture is very important. And for me growing uh, like now, like building a team, it's it's been the toughest thing of business. Who to hire? Even if it's just a contractor or just be part of the team, right? It's it's sure. incredibly difficult. That's that's been my my hardest thing. So that's why for me this is the one of the most valuable things because knowing uh, simple stuff like this uh, can do so much, you know. And that's why you know I was like making my notes and stuff. So you know, thank you, thank you for that. You were that's very right. articulated with that, and that's why I asked you. I was like, hey, but how do you do this? Because I, the idea sounded good, but I I wanna I wanna take action, right? Thank like I wanna man. have yeah, it for sure um and hopefully you know that that i help the audience to to be able to take notes so um (laughs) you know man um thanks thanks for for joining here it's been it's been great i mean you have so much value so i knew that this is gonna go uh very well and and it turned out to be like you know so organized and we touch on on so many things so you know thanks for taking the time i really appreciate the value that i have given me and also my audience no, thanks for having me. I think we did a great job for having no agenda or game plan. So we we crushed it. Right. Yeah, this right. moment was awesome. I equally enjoyed in my moment with Foo. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank, thanks. Thanks for that. So, <laughs> you know, uh, there's going to be some people that are going to be like, hey, like, I want to talk to this guy. So how can people find you? Hey, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Andrew Beatty, A-N-D-R-E-W-B as in boy, A-T-E-Y. Just uh, find me on LinkedIn. Add me. I'm always especially if you're a founder or an entrepreneur, like um, I didn't get here by myself. I have a million mentors that have helped me along the way. And I think it's our job to help the others find us. So if you have any questions or just, you know, struggling with something, feel free to reach out. I try my best to make time for people. Yeah. Like you did time, uh, you make time for me. And and I really appreciate that um, because, you know, I, I, like conversation that we have be, prior to this was great. This is great. I know that the next one we're going to have is probably going to be great. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I'll put the links to, you know, I'll make sure if you didn't send the links to my admin, you know, I'll make sure that you do. So we put cool. it in the description, right? Make it easy for people. Um, no worries. but, but, um, but yeah, I always like getting the, the, the guests just to say, cause sometimes like you say the passive thing, right? Like we get more lessons in the download side on the audio side, actually, than the, than the video. So it's good yeah. to, to go and get in the subconscious too. Right. So, you know, uh, right. thanks again, uh, for, for taking the time. It's, it's been great. I, I know I learned a lot and I look forward to, to talk to you more and, and hopefully, you know, we can do some cool stuff together. Um, so thank you. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. So this was Andrew and Foo, and this is us signing off. Cheers. Into Moments with Foo with your host, Foo. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we will see you on the next episode.